Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Morning, morning at Westside. Hi, Battersea as well. A huge, huge welcome. And those of you online, I'm Steve. And together with Viv, we, we get to lead this church. We, we believe that this is a place of uh, God's presence where, where Christ is here centrally. And we gather together, surrounded by one another. But we gather it, gathered around the presence of God. And so we come here. It's been a bit cold. Anyone cold? Dust off your jackets. Uh, but we're gathered here around Jesus' presence, and this is our delight. Uh, I've, we've loved, as Viv and I and others travel around the sites, just seeing some of the values represented across the sites. Westside, I love the passion you have for the community, the values that you have to express God's love to the community around you. And at Battersea, I've just, we just love the, the atmosphere of worship, of presence, of prayer. And here at Balham, where we gather together uh, to celebrate Jesus, but also in small groups. And we love seeing those values of the community gathered uh, in, in our midst here. So what we're going to be doing today, we're taking a, a mini break bet- between our Christmas services and we've just finished a, a series on uh, John and the science, seven signs of John, uh, seven signs of Jesus in, in the book of John. I'm going to be looking again at the book of John again and discovering uh, this passage, this beautiful passage where, where Jesus made breakfast for his disciples. What did you have for breakfast? Just tell your neighbor, just what did you have for breakfast where you are? What did you have for breakfast? Did you have breakfast? What did you have for breakfast? Uh, my normal, my normal go-to breakfast is Freddy's. I, uh, I, ha- I always have Freddy's in the morning. Uh, but let's read the passage, and, and you know, we, we've got Bibles at the back of, back of the church, at the back of it, all of our sites. If you don't have a Bible, please take one with our, our compliments. But I'm going to ask Akshay, he's our, one of our trustees here, he's going to read from John 21 to us. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off 
and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. They were there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. This is the word of the, this is word of God. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. I have two uh, Bible characters that I really relate to: uh, Elijah and Peter. Uh, ever si- Elijah from the Old Testament. Ever, ever since I was a new follower of Christ, I would see their extraordinary faith and their humanity. I love the miracles and the boldness of the prophet Elijah, but I can also relate to his crippling depression and pity parties that he often finds himself in. Peter here is another character that uh, I, can, I really, really love. I, he shows extraordinary faith, doesn't he? Walking on water. Uh, but he also has quite a big mouth that often gets him into trouble. Uh, hence why I have to write out my script, <laughs> word for word. <laughs> uh, it's very, very true. I, uh, uh, there's a danger of me going off piste, and so every word that I say is scripted. Uh, what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to make no apologies for dotting around the Gospels in the New Testament, the stories of Jesus, to give you the story of Peter, to give you the context of where we've landed here at the the breakfast at the beach. I won't be making many scripture references, but making some assumptions that you'll track with me through Peter's story before uh, this breakfast and then after the breakfast. You see, Peter's story is real. Peter's story, it's personal. It's personal for me. Peter is you. Peter is me. And that's what I think makes this story uh, so compelling for us to, uh, to listen to. Just read through the Gospels and look at Peter's story. It involves a story that... Uh, his story involves calling. It's a story that involves risk. 
It's a story uh, that involves his mouth, his faith, his fumbles, his denials, and the rich privilege that he had. It's also the story of grace. It's the story of love. It's the story of redemption, renewal. Having, having, having said all this, first and foremost, it's a story pointing us to Jesus and a reflection of how Jesus how, how, Jesus te- uh, how, how Jesus was with Peter is a reflection of how Jesus is with us as well. So when, when Jesus first called Peter in John 1, Andrew tells Simon, his original name, that they found the Messiah. And when Jesus tracked him down, tracked Simon down, he renames him Peter, which means the rock. Uh, we get another story in, in Luke 2 where Jesus calls Simon again. Uh, There Jesus tells him to become a fisher of men. We also read the story where Peter took a risk. He stepped out of the boat and walked on water. Uh, And that old phrase every preacher says, in order to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. Peter also went up the mountain of transfiguration. He experienced this incredible event of Jesus showing his full glory to him. Just this rich and privileged moment that Peter had experienced. As I said, Peter had a mouth, didn't he? A big mouth. Oh yes, he had a big mouth. That also worked for Jesus, but also worked against Jesus. We have the the story where where Peter says to Jesus, where else would we go? You have words of eternal life. Peter said that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. He made this declaration about who Jesus was, that he was the, Jesus was the one that they'd been waiting for. Then almost in the same breath, Peter steps in front of Jesus and tells him, you can't die, you mustn't die. And then we we get that story of the night of his betrayal where Peter denied Jesus. He opened his big mouth again. In Luke 12, we read that Peter denied knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, not three times. And if you you know the story in in Luke uh, Luke 22, after, after denying Jesus three times, the crow, uh, the, the rooster crows. And then straight after that, Peter just wept. He went away and he wept. He wept bitterly. And so this is some of the context of breakfast, of breakfast with Jesus. You see, I, I want to propose that something changed that time, that night that Peter denied Jesus. It was like a reverse conversion moment for Peter, a turning point in his faith. Peter's own bold faith and his own bold confidence and strength were killed in that moment. He knew he was sand. He knew at that moment he was the unmovable, he wasn't the unmovable rock that Jesus once declared over him. That's why he went outside to weep after his denial. He ran away because he knew what he knew who he was and what he had become. I want to propose he, he, he knew that he was a sinner in need of repentance, in need of forgiveness. In your life groups this week, I, I'd love you to talk further about how Peter must have felt after uh, denying Jesus that time. 
in your groups, just talk about how, how do you think Jesus must have, uh, Peter must have felt? Then also, if you're brave in your life group, have you ever experienced that moment? Have you ever experienced that feeling of shame, that guilt, that regret of things that you've done? See, in that moment of denial, everything about Peter, his entire being depended on Jesus up until that point. Jesus was his Lord, his Savior, but in that moment, his self-reliance had left him. And all of us, we can probably agree, all of us uh, have moments of regret, don't we? And in that moment, we either want to reverse time or we want to repair what's happened. We need something or someone else to come and step in outside of us to repair, repair us, to reset us, to change us, to release freedom over us again. And so before breakfast, we get this story. Even before this breakfast in, in Luke 24, we get this story where, where Peter, in this moment of regret and shame, he has this glimmer of hope, maybe. In Luke 24, we're told about Jesus' resurrection. We're told about the women who returned from the tomb. They'd seen that the stone had been rolled away. Their saviour wasn't there. And we had this story of these women going to the disciples and telling them about the empty tomb. This was Peter's chance. He jumps up, doesn't he? And he, becomes, he runs, runs in hope towards the tomb. And he had to get first to the tomb, didn't he? In John's Gospel, uh, the writer of John says that the disciple that Jesus loves ran ahead of him, um, which may have been John himself saying that thing, just to kind of put a dig in that he was faster than, than Peter running to the tomb. But Peter here, he's running. He had to run to find Jesus. He had to, maybe in this moment of shame and guilt and denial, he had to see Jesus. He had to touch Jesus. He had to realize uh, this, this man who could forgive him and release him to be healed. He had to know, he had to see this Christ who had been risen from the dead. If he was there, if he was really risen, maybe Peter himself could be renewed. Maybe Jesus would forgive him. And in this story in Luke 24, do you remember, some of you might know this, Jesus wasn't there. So Peter's left. I imagine, I'm, I'm making some assumptions, I imagine that, that moment of hope was dashed. And maybe Peter failed again. Maybe he went back to that feeling where he wept after denial. Maybe he went back to that place where he ran away from the crowd that arrested Jesus. Maybe he went back to that place where he didn't stand up and acknowledge Jesus as his friend or master. Maybe he went back to that place where Peter denied even knowing him. Those women who went to the tomb delivered Jesus' message to the disciples. The women at the, who saw the tomb said they were to go to Galilee and wait for Jesus there. And so we read these stories. So Peter and the other, other disciples went to Galilee. Peter again, hoping, maybe I'll see Jesus there. Uh, reading between the lines, it seems that Jesus wasn't there either. That moment for Peter hadn't arrived. They had to wait and they had to wait. Does that sound familiar to you and I? 
where sometimes we feel like we have to wait and wait and wait for Jesus' answer. The reason, some of the reasons why I relate to Peter is that in this moment, I wonder whether Peter just got tired of waiting. Maybe he just got a bit bored of waiting in Galilee. Maybe he just wonders, would, would, would Jesus ever, is Jesus ever going to come find him? Has he missed the moment of forgiveness that he desperately needs? Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like that? You've missed that moment. You've missed that moment with Jesus. And so in that moment, it seems like he's missed it. And so Peter says in in verse 3 in John 21, he says, do you know what, guys, verse 3, I'm going to go and fish. I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to go and fish. I imagine the denial of Jesus is still plaguing him. He can't shake that thought of what he did. I, I can't blame him. If, if Peter's like me, he will, he will nurse this terrible shame about what he's done in the past. And so he returns to something familiar. I'm going to go and fish. I want to go and forget the past, maybe. I want to seek out my living, maybe. I did this three years ago before Jesus called me. Maybe I'm going to do something that I'm comfortable with. What do you do with your shame? I'm tempted to uh, turn to your neighbour. (laughs) What do you do with your shame? Do you escape? Do you shove it down like an overfilled suitcase, trying to close it, but it keeps spilling out? What do you do with your shame? Do you drink? Do you work too much? Do you disconnect from people? Do you try and hide it? Uh, you don't know how tempted I am to say, turn to your neighbour. I'm really, really tempted. In your life groups this week, I imagine we'll see a dip in attendance of our life groups this coming week. But what do we do when we feel shame? We do all these things. We escape. We deny. We run away. We distract. We get busy. We watch more, more series. We drink. What is it you do? Has everyone got something? <laughs> Just nod. I'm not going to get you to share. Don't worry. But what Peter does is he goes back to what he's comfortable with. And what happens that first night, he's back on the water. And this is, this is a familiar story for Peter. Overnight, they catch nothing. I wonder if Peter felt there's something familiar going on. There's something familiar happening. It's almost too familiar. Maybe he's thinking back to his first call where Jesus was at the beach and he called and he said, cast your net on the other side. Maybe he's thinking the same thing. Who knows? But what we do know is he's had to work hard an entire night and he's caught nothing. He's tried to do it by himself. He's tried to cover up his shame by himself and nothing's working. Uh, if Peter is like me, I might say, he's, I've failed as a disciple. I've failed at fishing. Peter may have felt really bad about this. 
This is happening all over again. Nothing good is coming Peter's way. How can he go on and make a living like this? How can he carry on? And suddenly, verse 5, suddenly he hears this voice from the beach. Friends, haven't you caught any fish? Throw your net on the other side and you'll find some. As you see, I'm reading between the lines, but maybe Peter's like, where have I heard this before? Hang on, I've heard this before. Who told me this at my last fishing trip just three years ago? This time, there's no, this is a beautiful story. This time, there's no talking back. There's no questions. He just picks up his net, tosses it on the other side. And what a catch. We've got this, this picture of this catch. Uh, 153, I can't even remember how many were there. 153 fishes. So much so that they can't haul the net in. That's when John figures it out. figures things out in verse 17. John figures it out and he says, It's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And that's all Peter needed to know. The, the new old Peter is back. Irrational, erratic, spontaneous Peter is back. Jump in the water Peter is back. Running to get to the shore as fast as he can. Beautiful moment. But when Peter gets there, <laughs> he can't say anything. You read the story. There's, there's no conversation. There's no... Hi, how's it going? <laughs> no conversation here is recorded in John. The rest of the disciples arrive and they eat breakfast in silence. Can you imagine that? Uh, verse 12, no one, no one wanted to ask Jesus the, the obvious question, the question they all wanted to know. But when I looked at this, I was thinking about Peter, all that he's gone through, all that he's faced from the denial to now, I want to propose that Peter needed Jesus to speak to him. I often say that the awesome's in the awkward. You often hear me say that. Uh, this is the original awkward moment. <laughs> They're making breakfast. No one's talking. Peter's like, I don't know what to say. All the other disciples are saying, are thinking, it's Jesus, right? Is it really Jesus? The, the God that he ran away from is the one that he's having breakfast with. Beautiful, beautiful picture. Peter needed Jesus to graciously reach out to him. Not to comfort him, sorry, not to confront him or rebuke him. Jesus, Peter needs Jesus to rehabilitate him, to forgive him, to renew him again and again and again, how about you? We need a Jesus like that, don't we? We need a God like that. Who comes to us to, to free us from our shame. To free us from uh, our guilt. The things that we've done in the past. He's been doing that to me for 30 years. Again and again and again. I'm grateful to Jesus. The reckless love of God. I'm grateful for, for God's recklessness and his love for me, his mercy for me, how he's patient towards me, how he's kind 
He's powerful and always surprising, this God that we worship. Verse 15, Jesus turns to Peter. What does he say? Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Hang on. He's called him Simon. Why hasn't he called him Peter? I want to propose that he needed calling and saving all over again. That's why he called him Simon. That's, that's, my, that's my reading of this. It's why Jesus chose to find Peter in the boat and not in the tomb. Jesus needed to go back to where it started and to begin again with Peter. He needed to go back to meeting Peter in the fishing boat, to take Peter back to his calling, not back to the crowing. And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. A second time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And each answer is the same, yes, Lord, you know it, Lord, you know it. A third time, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And this time, Peter's frustrated, he's hurt, isn't he? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know it. You know that I love you. And this last question just hits Peter hard. It digs deep. Peter is hurt in the text. I wonder whether Peter's saying, I don't know it, Lord, but you know it. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Help me. Help me. I'm hurt. Help me. And Jesus tenderly in this moment reaches out during breakfast. He reaches out to the wounded, afraid, hurt child who's probably gone through the worst couple of weeks of his life. Can you imagine these couple of weeks? Peter made one of the biggest blunders of his life. Now he's face to face with the man he offended, the one he denied, the one he rejected, which is why Peter couldn't talk. Could you? Imagine you, you're your biggest blunders, sat before Jesus. Could you imagine saying the first word? No, we need Jesus to say the first word. And Jesus came to Peter to forgive him, to win him back. When all of our life's biggest blunders occur, Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 18 that the hurt party is to go to those that have hurt them, to speak to them, to forgive them, thus win them back to the Lord, win them back into relationships. Now, this is flipping hard to do. It takes a great deal of humility and courage to go to that person, to forgive them, maybe to confront them, but to forgive them ultimately. Is there someone here in this room, maybe at Westside, maybe at Battersea, maybe online, that you need to forgive someone? Has someone shocked you recently and you need to forgive them? I imagine there are dozens of people in in a room here and those, uh, those in our sites and online, maybe those that are listening to this in 2032, you never know. <laughs> Who do you need to forgive? 
Who's hurt you that you need to forgive? See, it's Christ-like to go to the person who has done the imaginable and maybe to confront them or maybe to restore the relationship or maybe even just to forgive them for what they've done. To go in love and offer a way out for you in forgiveness. It's the way back to Christ. It's the way to renewal. It's the way uh, to restoration. It's the start of healing for you to forgive someone. But it's difficult. But when it's done, I, I really, I know it. Many of us know it, the power in forgiveness, the power in restoration. It's not easy. Uh, so do talk to your life group leader. Do talk to your site pastors. Do talk to a trusted friend. If you're just stuck in this moment, where you need prayer, or you need some listening, you need some help in, what do I do? But back to the text. Jesus went to Peter to heal him, to restore him, to renew him, to forgive him. And so if Peter was to grow and become the rock that Jesus said he was, Jesus had to recommission him, to call him again. And his responses revoke his original deniers, denials and empower Peter to return back to ministry. Verse 17, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. This is good news for us. You see, restoration is necessary. Peter's sin needed to be blotted out. If it wasn't, then his uh, past and other future sins would, would, not, would have cancelled this message of Jesus' grace. We need to hear this story of grace in Peter, to watch him coming forth as a new man, to match it, to pattern match it to our own story. All of our past, all of our present, all of our future sins are blotted out by Christ and what he's done. We need to know that same story and to make us new. And that grace is available breakfast, lunch and dinner. Jesus' call to Peter was, feed my lamb, care for my sheep, be a pastor, be a shepherd, faithfully serve Christ through the church. And here we have Peter continually grow in his faith and commitment. Excuse me. Uh, Peter, he goes on to preach, doesn't he? goes on to lead, goes on to nurture the tender flock of Christ's followers. Peter, after this moment, is ready. He trembled at the question of the servant girl. Now he's able to face the servant girl in, in Luke, Luke 21. Now he's able to face the mob in Acts. Not in his own, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where Peter got up and spoke. Powerful Pentecost message. 3,000 uh, plus people turned to follow Christ. Afterwards, Peter's story, he endured persecution of the authorities. He was the strength of the early Jewish Christian community and then led by God's Spirit to reach the Gentiles. He writes letters, these beautiful letters in the New Testament from which we gain insight into his development and understanding of the Christian faith, Peter's letters reveal his warmth, his sincerity, his faith still in times of testing, 
his reliance on Christ in suffering, particularly, and Peter's unfading hope of, uh, of glory. And so that's why I love Peter. Amid all the stumbles and falls uh, which continued through his life, before, before this moment at breakfast, after this moment of breakfast, the name Rock came into reality for Peter. Peter is you. Did you know that? Peter is me. Even though the actual denial of Peter can never be repeated by us. I want to propose we all deny Christ in some way, don't we? Come on, let's be real. We all deny Christ in some way. But the beauty of breakfast with Jesus is that grace, God's grace flows abundantly to me, to you, to each of us to all who believe in Jesus Christ. You see, God, man, Christ came into the world. Over these next few weeks, we're going to hear about Emmanuel, God with us, how God came as a baby, emptied himself of, of his glory and became human being. And we're going to hear about the birth and the miracle of Christmas. But Christ came into the world. He emptied himself and became nothing taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Each of us have stumbled and fallen. Each of us have got stuck in a hole we can't get out of at times. Uh, some of us, maybe we don't even want to get out of the hole. But I know my God is reaching out. He's done it for me again and again and again, and he's done it for many of you again and again and again. It's always Christ that comes and reaches into the pit of our lives to pick us up, to clean us up, to empower us again. And you know what he says? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. His grace flows into us as we've been forgiven as we've been healed, and then it flows through us, ready to, to bring God his glory that he deserves. We mentioned about this is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. third time is when he was in the upper room, and uh, the upper room with the disciples, these nervous disciples. And Jesus said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins or her sins, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. So there's this duality of, of what Christ did in the upper room, and he does it for us. Receive the Holy Spirit, but in doing so, the best way to bring peace and reconciliation is through forgiveness. And so why don't we stand? We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to invite the bands to come to come up across our sites. And I want to pray two things. Just like the upper room, do you need to receive the Holy Spirit? God breathes on his disciples like he's breathing on many of, many of you right now. Receive the Holy Spirit. But also, is there anyone you need to forgive? So Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for this beautiful story a breakfast with you.
Thank you how you restored Peter. You gave him hope. You gave him life. You reset his calling. And so now across the room, across Westside, Battersea, online, across this room, would you breathe your spirit on people? Why don't you just hold out your hands as a, as a sign of openness? Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers. 